Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Emma Carpenter, and I'm so excited to be back doing another podcast today covering all things college golf. And today, I'm so excited to talk about the Women's NCAA National Championship because I do have on Coach Kim Llewellyn, the coach of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, who led her team to the first NCAA National title in program history. So I'm so excited to talk to Kim about her coaching career as a whole, about this historic year with the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And I know that you're going to enjoy this lesson today. And with that, I welcome in Coach Kim Llewellyn. Kim, thank you so much for joining me on Five Clubs today. I'm thrilled to be here, Emma. I uh, look forward to to what's in store. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so excited about, about our chat today. So, I mean, first of all, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing really well. Um, I have already done my workout. I've hit a few golf balls already. So I hope you've done the same, same since you're training for the AM. Absolutely. Well, I did. I did get a workout in. However, okay. <laughs> my golf. I have some practice and a round of golf this afternoon. But okay, good. 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 I, I just gotta keep you on it. I gotta keep you. <laughs> now I feel like I definitely should have hit balls already. <laughs> you got a very productive morning, <laughs> Coach Llewellyn. You are coming off of just a really spectacular historical year. The highlight of your coaching career, I'm sure, and that is a national championship. Um, the first ever in program history with the Demon Deacons. And I want to talk all about that. I really want to dive into that later on. But first, I just want to talk about your coaching career in general. Um, So myself as a college player, I'm going to be a fifth year this year at the University of Minnesota. And I've uh, I've had a a number of different coaches, actually, different coaches coming in in the middle of um, of my four years here. And I would say it is uncommon to have your entire coaching career at one school this is this is true with any sport really so like you know you played uh excuse me you coached at East Carolina for a couple years you coached at Virginia for 11 years and then at Wake Forest for your last five years and while you coached at ECU you led them to their first ever conference championship you're at Virginia you were national coach of the year while you're at Virginia um you led them to two ACC championships nine national tournament appearances there are there's clearly to me no coincidence there that you've made such an impact at every school you've been to up until um, this point in your career, over your whole coaching career. So, you know, my coaches, Coach Rill and Coach Matt, they came in and they took over the program um, and they made an instant impact right away as you did at every school that you that you have coached at. So I really want to chat about what the real initial goal is for you when you take over a program. You just finished your fifth season at Wake Forest. So what is really, what would you say is the first order of business? What's the initial goal when you first come in and take over a program? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, I've never been asked that question. So that's a great question. Um, And, and for me to think about, Um, I have another one that, I usually, it's, sometimes it isn't on my bio, which is interesting. I coached the men and the women at the Citadel mm-hmm. Military School. So 
that that one, which was another interesting part. So each university in each um, place I've been are obviously very different. Um, they're different um, areas of the country. There's different, um, it's, they're, they're just different products, I guess you could say. And so what you do is, first of all, you just go in there, you don't say much, you take it all in, and then you just listen. Um, but I will say, Emma, the thing that is the common denominator is that every single player, every single young lady that is on that golf team, golf means a lot to them, as it does you. Um, you put a lot of time, you put a lot of energy in it, you put a lot of thought in it, and you've been doing that for a long period of time. And every one of those young ladies, no matter what level they are at, want to get better um, because it means so much to them. And so I just go in there with a filter of every day, what can I do to get them better? So whatever level that I've coached at or whatever school that I've been at, I've just gone in there and said, what can I do to get each player better? because that's what they want. Um, again, because it means so much to them. And so once they start to see that progression of getting better and a little bit better, um, they, they just roll with it and it continues to go on an, uh, an upward climate. And then I think that's, uh, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of people that are getting a little bit better and they're continuing on an upward climate, they're enjoying the game because of that, um, it helps you to, to, to win championships, but I'll be completely honest. Okay. Now, I mean, winning a national championship is really, really cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, really, really cool. Um, but my ultimate goal is just to, to get every single player, um, better every single day because that's what they want. And that's what I do every time I go into a program. And I really enjoy the process of that. How would you describe kind of the scenario of uh, taking over at ECU and then taking over at Virginia, then taking over at Wake Forest. Is it is it a shift to a winning mentality or is it kind of each player individually, fundamental, skill-driven? How would you kind of describe the way that you approach getting each player better? Mm -hmm. um, that's a, a, another good question. Um, I do have a system. And um, that and a filter that I think through often with um, every single player. Um, and so I have a system that I've that I've put in place that hopefully will allow players to get better. And I've had that system um, I, that I had when I was a player as well. Um, and so it's just a, a system of checking every single box. So I'm checking every single box every single day with every single player as I would when I was playing. Um, is my equipment where it needs to be? Am I as physically, uh, am I, is my fitness level where I need to be? Is my fitness level where I need to be to be able to compete for seven days at a national championship in a hundred degree weather? Um, uh, you know, and that's with possible delays that even makes that, that longer. Um, am I, um, mentally and emotionally where I need to be um, to, to manage the successes and the failures of the game um, and allow that to be more solution oriented. Um, have I done my preparation to go 
um, play? Have I done my preparation to go practice? Have I done my preparation to go to work out? So there's just many different categories that are constantly filtering that I used as a player. Um, I coached, I was a swing coach um, prior to coaching um, at a collegiate level. Um, so I would use that for, with my students there as well. So it's just a system that I've used um, uh, to focus on the young ladies to get them 1% better. And I've done it wherever I've gone. Sounds wonderful. You know, is it, it sounds like a lot of structure. Is that a way that you would describe it? Um, structure and thought, but I structure practice very differently than probably um, many places. It's very convenient here at Wake Forest because the facilities are on campus. The golf course is on campus. So, I mean, that's an advantage in reference to convenience. Um, I don't run a practice from two to five. Um, I have a practice. It's an all day. You can come out anytime you want. I'm going to be here. Coach Ryan's going to be here. Um, we're going to be here. And we will have evaluated your stats, have an idea of things that we feel like you need to work on. And then we will uh, spring, sprinkle that into whatever your, your thought was as well for your game. Because the players that come there – um, are they're good players when they get here. Um, so we want them to continue what makes them feel comfortable as well. So they'll do those things and then we'll sprinkle in um, and give them some suggestions on things that we might um, incorporate into their practices based off of what we see either statistically or when we're watching them play. Um, but they can come and go. They can go for an hour. They can go back into their dorm or go to class and they come back for another hour. Um, and that's sort of how we run practices. And that um, seems to work really well for us. Wow. Well, that's that's definitely a, a different practice schedule than I've gen generally heard amongst, <laughs> amongst college golf programs, really. A, uh -huh. I know a lot of people do the two to five. So uh -huh. is this something that you've always done as a coach? Run, practice, uh -huh. run your practices that way? I've always done it. It was a little it's been a little bit. At the Citadel in East Carolina, it was a little bit more difficult just because of the, the practice areas. Um, I needed to designate more where we were going to practice mm -hmm. at those days so it couldn't be as um, spontaneous. But at um, Virginia and at Wake Forest, where the facilities are closer to campus um, and they're university-owned, um, it makes that running practices like that a lot easier. Absolutely. Wow. Well, you know, you talk about this system, kind of your approach. What do you think that the, the way that you have made an impact on every school that you've come in and been the coach for, what do you think it says about all other coaches and sports who create a winning program just kind of right mm -hmm. as soon as they get there? Mm -hmm. um, Emma, I think uh, I appreciate that, that you're saying that about me. Um, <laughs> that's very kind. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think in any profession or anything that any person does, whether it's golf or whether it's whatever it might be, I have many thoughts on this, but, um, you've got to figure out, you know, why you're doing something and you'll hear, you know, you, you hear that if you read a, you know, self-help book or listen to, you know, some t a Ted talk, which are wonderful, um, you know, but you might hear, you know, the why. And I do think that's important to wake up and figure out why you do things. Um, you know, why I love coaching and why 
I've been in it and and as long as I have is because um, I like to help uh, young ladies reach their goals, um, both in golf and academically. And I enjoy that and the process of helping them do that. I love that. And so that's my why every morning. So whether it's, I think that's um, why I've been successful in, in, the, in coaching. And, and I think that rolls over to um, anyone that is wanting to do anything, you know, well, you know, Emma, you're doing this podcast to, to reach out to people and give them information um, to help them be better at what they do. And that's, that's, you know, so that's your why in helping people for, for, and that's why you're doing this. And so um, I think having your why um, really motivates you in the morning to get up and, and do, do your best job. Um, and then once you figure out what you want to do, I love coaching. I'm going to dive into it and be passionate and love and know everything I can about it um, because that's what I love and that's what I want to do. So finding what you're passionate about um, and then just diving in wholeheartedly, um, I think will allow allow anybody to be successful. Absolutely. So, you know, I am, I'm so interested in kind of the way that you say that you run practice in this whole system and uh we're not quite as lucky to have a practice facility that we can actually walk to that's right there on campus. That's definitely, definitely really nice. Um, there's some transportation and things to coordinate um, with some teammates who might not have a car on campus and things like that. So, um, but now that your players, we're in the summer season right now, and now that your players are not on campus and they're competing all summer, how involved are you in um, kind of their practice schedule and what they're working on all summer? Actually, I don't do much at all in the summer. So yeah, I was um, going to ask, what, what kind of weather is it? Yeah, uh, uh, it? I, I do. I will have to say that it's really um, endearing because right before we leave, usually every year, I used to do exit interviews or not. I mean, not exit interviews, but, it's not about that, but I guess it's um, end of the year meetings right um i did that a lot and then actually i have not done end of the year meetings probably in the last six seven years um because with a small team you get to know everybody so well you can almost just have discussions out on the putting green right and like i said with the um practice facility being so close to campus um a lot of young ladies just come in and sit in my office just to be hanging out because it's not a two to five type thing so it's it's much more um has a lot more fluidity in that so um, saying that a lot of them will say, okay, coach, um, you know, I'm leaving. I love drill one through 10 that we do throughout the year. Can you print it out? Can you, you know, remind me, can you put it in a text note so I can remember those things that were making me successful? Um, and so it's more of them, um, reaching out and, oh my goodness, I liked this or I liked that. Can you share me, uh, share that with me? And then through conversation, just again, because we're hanging out on the putting green, um, it might be, hey, you know, if you really tackled, um, you know, working on your uh, speed putting, then, you know, you're going to pick up two shots on the field. Look what happens if you do that. And so it's more conversational, but I would say um, each player knows what they need to do throughout the summer. 
um, uh, before they've left to go home. Otherwise, I'm just a uh, cheerleader, you know, hey, you just did great. That's awesome. Or what are you doing this week? Or, you know, uh, have you gotten any cool new outfits? You know, I mean, it's more of just like <laughs> talking to them and, um, you know, uh, more in a friendly manner during the summer. Absolutely. I mean, I know that the summer can definitely be kind of a heavy recruiting period, but would you yes. say generally the summer is uh is a lot less busy for you than the than the season? Um no. So the summer is actually really 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 busy. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah. Yes. Um I recruiting camps, we do a lot of camps. Mm -hmm. Um I do a lot of continued education stuff in the summer. Uh, I like to go follow people that I um, find interesting um, that might have some information I haven't heard. Um, so I may try to fly down and just, you know, go talk to somebody for, for a day. Um, I do a lot of that um, in the summer. I think I've been home four nights this summer so far. So, <laughs> so uh, um, but all good. I actually have caddied for... Um, a, a former Virginia player who was up at, at Liberty National caddied for her one tournament um, for her L, an LPJ event when she was between caddies. That was a blast, by the way, because um, I hadn't caddied um, for her since she made it through Q school. So that was so much fun. And then I'm going to caddy for Amelia next week at Pebble Beach in the U.S. Open, um, which that'll be a blast. And um, then I went and watched um, – also, uh, Rachel Keene, who got an exemption into LPJ event. And then I'm hoping to get up and see another one of my players who just turned professional. So I'm either recruiting, going to watch some players do some fun catting, um, or doing continued ed. So it comes a busy summer. The slowest time for, I think, coaches um, is usually uh, right after Thanksgiving until school starts in January. So that's when I actually – sit down, watch a lot of hallmarks, read some books. You know, what I would say is my like downtime is more during that, that period. I see. I would agree. I'm not a coach. I'm just a player. <laughs> I don't have all the responsibilities that you do, but definitely I would say that that November, December is what yes. I would consider my off season. Yes. Um, because yes. pretty much no other time, it, even exactly. you know, once January hits, you got to get ready for the spring, even yeah. in December yeah. as well. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just changes. What what's nice about coaching and even and playing um is that it does change, you know. So um when the the athletes are here, I am that's a whole different schedule. Once they're off campus, there's I'm doing a, you know, a completely different schedule of things. Um the summer's different than the winter. So there there's always um you're not doing the same thing every single day in coaching. There's a lot of moving parts and and different schedules, which, which keeps it um, fun too. You know, it keeps it uh, exciting. Right. Not just a yeah. routine. There's always yeah. something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Kim, going back in time a little bit, you mentioned you were a player yourself. You played for UNC. You just have a real passion for the ACC, don't you? I do. Oh my goodness. It my husband went to undergrad at state, graduate work at Duke. I mean, it's like, We've got like the whole ACC covered, you know, I'm like, okay, wake is neutral ground for everything. So. <laughs> but yeah, it is funny. You're right. <laughs> 
Well, and I mean, you were ACC coach of the year three times. So yeah. you're definitely giving back to the ACC. Um, so while you were a player as well, your first team All-American, you won a regional individual title, which is so impressive. You did that during your senior season and you went on to play. You played about four years of professional golf. So what was the dream for you? You know, obviously our dreams might change throughout the course of our lives. What was the yeah. dream for you while you were in college? Mm -hmm. When I was in school, um, when I first got there, I didn't really have any aspirations to play professionally. I loved the game. Um, and so I, I always thought, well, I'll stay amateur and I'll play amateur events and I'll I'll do something else. Um, but while I was there, um, I really found uh, a passion even more for the game of golf. Um, I was fortunate to um, have a lot of great influences um, in my life at that time. Um, yeah, David Orr, who's now uh, you know a famous um, golf instructor. Uh, he at that time he was young and upcoming, and so I got to spend a lot of time with him, um, with Mike Bender. So uh, just people that were really into golf, and that their passion rubbed up rubbed off on me. So. Um, they're also their passion allowed me to get better at golf. <laughs> so um, therefore I can, I, I um, did get better as I went through school, had success, um, played professionally off and on until my first child was born, um, but never good enough to, to make a living at it. But on the side, um, I got into coaching golf again um, with hanging around a lot with David Orr and Mike Bender. And so I noticed that when I was, going to these um, tour events, people would ask me to, to help them with their golf swing. Um, and so that sort of led me into, again, a passion of um, helping uh, people with their games, um, knowing again how important it was for me. And so that gave me another avenue and a love uh, of the game where I then led into coaching. I, I fell into coaching by accident. I was in Charleston. South Carolina living. Um, my husband was actually, um, he's an Episcopal priest by trade. And so he was a um, Episcopal, Episcopal priest at Christ Church down in um, Ch uh, Charleston. So uh, my kids were three. I wanted to get back in the business. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And um, I, do I teach golf? And then by happen chance, um, someone got me connected with the Citadel and they needed a men's and women's coach and fell in love with coaching their first day. Um, and so I've coached ever since there. Wow. Wow. So <laughs> would you say that even while you were chasing professional golf, was it the kind of thing where you wanted to do it as long as you could, you wanted to chase it as long as you could, or were you, you know, you knew that you had passions to pursue after it sounds like during you were learning about some passions yeah. maybe you didn't know you had. Um, a good question. Um, once a, a lot of things happened while I was playing professional golf in good, in good ways. Um, you know, I had, uh, I would continue to give lessons, really enjoyed that, would go play, um, enjoyed competing and doing that, had, um, some success, especially on the, the Espen tour, futures tour is what we called it. Um, so I did, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, I did some stuff with the golf channel and I really enjoyed doing that. 
so I just I just loved the business. Um, I, of course, I'd love to have won a U.S. Open, or I would love to have, have uh, um, won a major or, or competed at a um, more competitive level um, on the LPGA. But but I got to see, you know played um, on the European tour. I got to see some wonderful places. So it was a it was it's just the golf business and it's wonderful and it's even better now in my opinion for women than it was when I was um, doing that. I'm in the nineties. So, um, a lot better now, um, with the opportunities for women in all industries. Um, and, and anybody listening to this that is interested in the golf business in general uh, coaching. Um, I mean, when I first started out in the, the salaries, you know, it, it was a very, very minimal, not even a part-time salary type job. Do you know what I mean? And now you can make a really nice living at it. And, um, you can make a nice living teaching. Uh, you can make a nice living, um, you know, being in some type of broadcasting. Um, there's a lot of avenues for, for women in golf right now. Kim, now a lot of coaches were former competitive players themselves, but I wouldn't say all coaches had, you know, as decorated of a career as you did. And some coaches maybe didn't com play competitively at a high level at all. Well, maybe there's so many things that goes into making a, a good coach, but I want to know how much of your competitive career do you take into account in your own golf game when coaching other players? Mm -hmm. um, I think you bring up some good points. I don't think you necessarily have had to have played at a high competitive golf le level to be a successful coach in any sport um i think uh, having a passion and, and understanding the sport um is is obviously very important i do think that i do take a lot of um what i learned as a competitive golfer and bring it into my coaching and even small things like when i'm walking with a player and i'm looking at a yardage and i'm thinking about how to play it you know, I go back into my playing mode of, okay, you know, it feels, you know, there's a little bit of wind, it's uphill, but it feels a little bit like this, or I need to move my target a little bit like this, or, you know, that, that instinct, that play instinct comes in a lot when I'm walking with players, um, which I think is helpful. And of course, I developed that as a competitive golfer. Um, and I think also, uh, it gave me, like I said, the why. I I wanted to play the best golf that I could, and it and I realized how important golf is to to these young ladies, um, and just knowing what that feels like. I mean, I'd be getting ready to go leave for a tournament and so stressed out because my ball was going three yards to the right, you know, and I'd be calling my coach. We got to meet at the range at seven a.m. just because I got to get. I got to see it go straight. Right. And so that's, that is, I understand what that feels like. And so um, I think that's helpful um, for me to be um, all in sometimes where I might want to be, you know what, I really just don't want to go to the range right now. I'd rather just, just, just to sit here and finish my paperwork or whatever. But, you know, I think to myself, but that's not, I needed, what I needed was somebody to go out there and, and be those eyes for me, even if it was just for confidence. Do you know what I mean? It could be just somebody standing there saying, 
that looks good. Yes, you are lined up properly or whatever it might, or it might just need to be just sitting there, you know? And, and so just, um, I think that's what I took as a competitor and somebody who wanted to be the best that I could. And um, I think that um, I try to do that for my players, what I needed as a competitive golfer. So I think that piece um, I have related to my coaching. Well, Kim, can I say, I think that's so impressive because not just because you're a good golfer, it doesn't always translate into being a, a good coach as, you know, as people know, but you have, it obviously is not the case for you. It's worked very well. It's been a big part of what makes you such a good coach. So I will say, I'm so impressed by how you've been able to take uh, your experiences and what you've learned. Cause obviously everybody plays the game of golf different. And part of the reason why not every good player is a good coach is because they know how to play the, the game their way. And yeah it doesn't necessarily mean that they could help other people because they just know what works for them. But for you, you know, the way that you've described it, especially when you say, I know as a player, what it meant to me when someone had that was that extra pair of eyes for me, or when someone um, just helped me with something that I needed just to get that extra confidence, because you understand the just kind of the thought process, the, the stress, the ups and the downs of competitive golf. So that's right. really, really interesting and impressive to me, the way that you were able to kind of take uh, not necessarily your own game, how you hit the golf ball, how you uh, stroke the putter, but just those pieces of it as well that all go into what makes a really good golfer and what translates into a good round of golf, especially too. It's interesting that you say that you go back to the way that you played it because I know that uh, sometimes golf, you just have like a feeling of what number it's right. playing. Like it just looks like this. Number. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it may be saying this, but it feels a little different, you know, right. and, and, and a lot of times that's right. And for whatever reason, it might be because of the humidity or the air, but for some reason it feels like three yards further, you know, right. like so or two yards, three yards shorter. And I, you know, you can't put a finger on it. So right. Yeah. yeah. Or even something as simple as you've watched the golf ball bounce so many yeah. times. You've watched yeah. uh different ball flights and what kind of bounce and landing that yeah. is. Yeah. So yeah. like when you look at a flag and you look at a green, you can you can just look at it and be able to tell how that green is gonna receive that type of ball flight with that club. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I've never really put words to the questions that you're asking, you know, I've never, I've never thought about it and then actually probably never. So it's interesting that these questions that you're asking me, I've, I've enjoyed explaining because um, I've never explained why, you know, what competitive golf and maybe what I bring to coaching. So you've enlightened me sort of on just sort of my categories, I think in. So it's interesting. Well, I'm so glad coach. I'm so glad that's what yeah. these conversations are all about. Right. I am. Right. So that's neat. So coach, we've touched on it a little bit. We haven't really gone all the way into it, but you, I'm sure. I mean, first of all, has it sunk in yet that you're national champions? You know, not necessarily, but yes. So, um, you know, it's it's absolutely wonderful because I, I live, I actually live on campus. And so I live, uh, so the community of Wake Forest, is, it's a small university. There's only 5,000 students. 
A lot of professors live on campus. Um, one of our football coaches, our track coach, we all live on the same street on campus. So it's like a neat community. So, you know, I drive a golf cart to work. So on my golf cart, I was like, congrats, congrats, congrats. And so, you know, that that is where you really start to, to feel um, like, wow, we just did something amazing, you know? Um, the, so it's, it sinks in every single day and you walk into the bookstore and they have all these national championship golf shirts. And I'm like, this is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you start to, to really feel it um, more and more each day. Um, and so, and it's, it's just been an exciting memory for all these players. Um, and they'll keep texting me and writing me things that are happening to them individually. So I can't wait. Cause what I want to do when I get home is just have a meeting. And so we call it debriefing because I always like to debrief and this has nothing to do with golf typically. <laughs> so <laughs> we just debrief. So we're going to, I want to debrief and hear how each person, um, what their experiences, um, have come from it, you know, and, and, uh, and so I'll be very interested when, when they get back to hear about the debriefing of that. Wow. You know, I heard that you had all the girls, um, reading off text messages that they got after, yeah. after the national championship win. I just think that's so neat. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, what, what is kind of your, your exact thought process behind it? Is it to, is it a celebratory type of thing that you want to do? Is it like just uh, having the girls realize the impact that they're making on so many people is, mm -hmm. and, you know, gosh, I could think of a number of reasons why, but what kind of, what's your main, what's your main uh, takeaway, a thing that you want to get out of doing something like that? Um, that was actually the day before the, f the morning of the final match. Ah, okay. So it was after the semifinals, which was huge, by the way. So, so, um, so it was the morning before the final match. Um, and I had received so many text messages. And so I know that the young ladies have received so many text messages because it's hard to get to the finals. Right. So um, my thought process was one, um, in how, how many people, because it's not like you're in a football arena where you see all the fans, right? Um, you're not at, at baseball, like in Omaha, where people, you know, it's not a place where just people go, you know? And, and, and so I wanted them to feel that there's a huge community, whether they can be in the stands or not, there's a huge community out here for you, watching you on TV that, are supporting and thrilled to be Demon Deacon fans, right? And that you're doing something, yes, for yourself, but you're doing something for so many more people too. You are enriching and and um, and these people are just living through you right now, you know? And I just wanted them to realize how uh, how much of an impact they're having on so many people and that going out there and enjoying every single moment, uh, be, be a peacock, show off, enjoy it, you know, um, because you've got a whole community of people out there that are pulling for you. So that was my purpose of reading the text, just to, to, to take a little bit of nerves off and realize, you know, your arena, even though, um, it, it doesn't look like they're all here, they're all here and they're glued to the TV. So how special. I'm sure that was really, really fun. It was cool. It was fun. It's it's fun to, to hear everybody read out 
Um, especially the, you know, you don't read all, you know, 60, but you'll read the two or three that you feel like will make the impact for the, the for the group. Absolutely. Wow. Do you remember a message? Is there one that kind of comes to mind? I know that there were so many, but is there one that comes to mind that someone texted you? Well, um, you know, of course, all of our friends and donors of the program, they're all, I love the communication with them. But, you know, you when you have the former players on the men's side, too, so you have Curtis Strange and Lanny Watkins, Lanny Watkins and um, Will Zalatoris and Cameron Young, and um, then you have Jennifer Cupcho and Cheyenne Woods. I mean, you just you have um, just to name a few that are taking the time and are so interested in what's going on to write you. Um, I just, you know, those are the ones they've been here. They know what it feels like. Um, and so those were the messages that I really took to the team um, and just said, look, you, you know, we've got a legacy going here and you're continuing to do that. And look at these people that have written to wish you well. Wow. How, how special. Uh -huh. um, so Kim, something about your national championship win. I don't know if you know this, but I actually predicted it on a podcast. Oh, did you? I do not know that. I, I did. It was I love that. Too, why I was so excited to have you on today. And I'm not kidding. Got me a lot of street cred in the uh, college golf podcast. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I love so that. Dur during the week of the Wells Fargo, I was in Charlotte and uh, did a short NCAA national tournament preview with Gary Williams and uh -huh. he had me give him a final four of who I thought and who I thought was going to win the national championship and I said the Damon Deacons ah I love that so yeah so why uh, did you think that I want to hear what your what what your feeling was and why you chose us which I appreciate absolutely absolutely well um the way that I described it and then and the way that I still feel now is that the thing about a national tournament at match play is that match play really, really tests the depth of a team. And uh -huh. so many teams have star players. And I think that your team had five star players. So mm -hmm. um, that's the way, the kind of the short way I would say to yeah, describe yeah. it is that match play, you can't have one person who, if they, if they win eight and seven, uh, then it's, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It just counts for one point across the five. So yeah. I think that this team that you had this year had so much depth. Um, we saw you guys at the Bahamas and I mean, obviously what you did was so impressive. What you did all season was so impressive. You had a record number of wins this season, uh, uh -huh. so you had six titles. So but there, there are a lot of great teams There are a lot of great teams, but I just felt that Wake Forest, your team really had really impressive depth one through five well thank you thank you yeah and i would agree we i would agree you, you have um this was a special team to have that many and we had all five were all acc i mean that's incredible you know you've got um and so to, to have that depth i would agree a lot of times you might just have we call them an eraser so you have one eraser but in match play um you need a you need five erasers <laughs> so yeah so, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, on that note, I do want to talk about stroke play versus match play. I don't want to ask a cliche question here because obviously, you know, you show up to a tournament 
you always want to play the best round of golf that you can. But when you do go to the national tournament, you know, it's such a long week, you know, that in order to come out victorious, you need to win the final match, which you did this year against UNC. But when you go in and you know that you have those stroke play rounds first, you have hopefully a long week of golf ahead of you. What, uh, um, how do you kind of coach your team just in those first initial rounds? What's the number mm -hmm. one goal headed into stroke play? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. And I think it's team dependent, meaning um, what particular team you have that year. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, like you said, we had five really, really, really good players this year. It was actually six, one, but anyway, we had some, we had a lot of depth. Um, and so I felt confident, knock on wood, that we would get in the top eight, right, that we'd make it to match play. I felt confident because of the level of talent I had. Even if somebody had an, their B day or C day during the stroke play, um, I felt like confident um, and we went out there not with uh, a strategy to win stroke play. Okay. We went out there with a strategy of um, continuing to learn the golf course, figuring out, do we play 18? Do we lay up? Do we go for it? You know, how four, how far should we lay back? If the pins back left, I mean, more of just, we're going to continue to take in the information for these stroke play days hoping that they'll be beneficial for match play because there's only so many pin placements you can put. So you're going to see them, you know, right. you're going to see them in stroke play. Um, so it was more of, um, you know, you always say this is cliche, but it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So, right. but during that marathon, just taking in all the information that you can in that stroke play again, because this particular team, I felt confident that we would get to match play and then making sure that you hide. I mean, recovery, 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 you know, and you're not recovering because of what you just did. You're recovering for the next day and then for the next day. So you've got to have good recovery all throughout the week. Um, and so I, I think that was this year that that mentality of how we approached the stroke play was really preparing ourselves to go out and play the match play. Absolutely. You know, interesting that you say that because uh, it's the kind of thing where how can you not say that you want to play the best golf you can? How can you not say that you want to win the stroke play, be the number one seed? But, I, you know, that's very interesting to me how you do see it as a marathon. And it's the kind of thing where you continue to learn the course, where uh -huh. you're focused on, I'm, I guarantee you're focused on recovery and uh, really staying, conserving energy, making sure that you're going to be ready to go come that final match. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you're doing. I mean, it, it, to keep mental sustainability for that long of a week um, it was really what we talked about and the goals that we've had all year because um, to, to, to be 100% on go, which we were that final match, takes a lot of preparation and discipline and mental sustainability to do that. Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like I said, one of the reasons why or the one of the biggest reasons why I thought that you guys were going to. Uh, come out with the win this year is because of the depth one through five. And I thought that that would really work well in match play. However, I, this was also um, 
after the ACC championships. Uh, I, I know that you have, as a coach have won multiple ACC championships, but interesting, interestingly this year, the year that you were national champions, you fell to Georgia in the semifinals of, I mean, excuse me, you fell to Virginia in the semi, you fell to Virginia in the semifinals of the ACC championship. So how did you interpret this loss in the semifinals at ACC's and what change did you put into action in your preparation for postseason in the national tournament? Um, that was, I actually, if I think, you know, we, we won the stroke portion uh, by quite a bit at ACC's, which again, went back to going to the formula for nationals. I felt confident that we could get in that top eight. So it's checking that box, right? We fell to Virginia, um, and they have a very nice team. I'm fortunate to know, obviously, most of them, because <laughs> as I coach there, um, wonderful, you know, coaching staff and team. Um, I, on, I, of course, looking back, and you can say this now, but I think if we had won, I wouldn't have done anything different moving forward to the national championship, because when you fail at something – you become really solution oriented and trying to figure out why you failed. Right. And so um, coach Potter and I immediately went back and said, well, what did, what could we have done different to make that outcome different? And we came up with two really amazing conclusions from that. I'm on the edge uh-huh. of my seat here, Kim. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, do I tell them? you know I mean I'm very competitive so to get this much out of me already so far it's pretty good but um um, but um you know one was um at this and I this because I probably probably wouldn't do this again so um I just had a Amelia Meliaccio is a very 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 strong um match play player and so we figured out putting her out first is a strength that we need to continue to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So we learned that. And so when we were at the finals of match play, when you're the number, when you're the high seed, you get to either defer um, to the next team and then they will um, throw out a player and then you, you pair a player with them or you can throw out a player and, um, you throw out a player and then they put pers- a player with you. Most most of the time, the high seed defers because if they defer and they put out a player, you've just now got control of three matches. Well, Amelia is such a strong um, match play player. She loves to go out first and she loves to grab a point. And she's had success in Curtis Cup, Palmer Cups, you know, just um, a lot of six, anytime we've played match play, when we played at the NCAA championship in 2019, I mean, she, she is great at match play. So I think we had an advantage there. We're going to throw out Amelia first because we feel like she could be anybody that they paired her with. Um, That was a huge advantage for us because then we, again, could, we really could almost control three to four matches at that time. So that was a really helpful piece. Um, and then the second piece is 
I had a really, really strong depth. Our depth was incredible in reference to their golf game. Um, but a lot of times they let their emotions get the best of them. And they would say this, I think, too, as a unit, um, because, again, they care so much for the sport, as you know, as you do. Um, and so we really set, just stood, we set back and said, could we have controlled ourselves emotionally differently and been, instead of reacting, be more solution oriented? Um, and at that moment, they all really reflected on that. And we put that thought process from that, that point moving forward. Um, and it really helped us because to be fair at regionals, there was a time where we went through about five holes where we were not, our golf game was not at the level that they can play at. And so, um, but because they had just went, we had just put this thought process about being solution oriented, um, not being reactionary into effect. They went right into being solution oriented and just went full head into those last five holes. I think the last five, four or five holes, we were eight under as a team, you know? And so um, if, if we had won, um, if Virginia hadn't beaten us, we had won so many events this year by, you know, again, because of the talent level, I don't know if I'd have changed anything, you know, I mean, I would have said our system's working. And so I'm just going to keep, keep living in that. Um, but that, but that failure allowed us to make some changes. And I, and I think that's um, why we were uh, sustainable for the whole time at NCAAs. Interesting. Wow. So when you say players are emotional because they care a lot of the best players are emotional because they care so much what was the change that needed to be made specifically in terms of emotion and being more solution oriented was it was it uh reacting to adversity a little bit better or how would you describe the the particular change that was made in that in that area mm -hmm. um we just it, it um we read this great book by the way um, it take what it takes what it takes. Great book, by the way. It takes what it takes. Read it. <laughs> um, it takes. Well and, and um, and it just talked about neutral thinking. Our baseball team had read it, and so obviously they did really well. <laughs> nope. um, so um, really good book, but it really talks about neutral thinking, and so not necessarily positive. Um, being positive all the time. Um, but it just talks about neutral thinking and I, and I liked that way of looking at things because, you know, if you just double bogey a hole, I mean, it's really hard to be like, oh, everything's okay. I'm going to the next hole. Right. You know, you're just like, I mean, you can't do that. I mean, most of us can't, but you can be neutral. You know, you can say, okay, I double bogey the hole that stinks, but I, the past is the past and I've got to move on forward and that's what I'm going to do. So it was just sort of a mindset of being neutral thinking, not allowing something to bother us, but the past is the past go on, but also not being like, I got to fake myself out and be like, Whoa, I'm okay. I'm okay, coach. I'm okay, coach. No, because you, you just a double bogey the hole, you know, but you can let it go away, be neutral thinking and let's go to the next hole. Um, and so, um, that's what we ended up taking out. And I think every every one of us, um, 
you know, the golf channel kept saying, y'all just look like y'all grown up. Do you know what I mean? They kept telling us that, you know? And I said, I think we, I think we all did. I mean, the coaching staff as well. I mean, you know, as coaches, you, we need to be neutral thinkers too. You know, we can't be reactionary that, you know, one of our players just, you know, doubled or whatever. We need to be neutral thinking the past is the past. Let's move on. And so I think it was a great um, learning moment for our team. I love that. I love that. And you, I'm also interested how you say that Amelia is such a good match play player. So it was a great strategy to get that momentum going out there early. It is a real thing. Our, our, I mean, our coaches, they don't really change our lineup at all because the way that we're back to back in tournaments, um, they think that it has a huge impact on, on the yeah. momentum. And the it does. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, now this is just match play um, again, because we're just trying to accumulate three points. Right. So Amelia would go out first um, and then they would throw out a player and then we would have to strategically uh, match who we thought would be the best competitor against that person. So um, that was only a match play. But in stroke play, we do something similar to what your coaches do because we do think it's a momentum. Um, uh, I never are one through five. It's typically uh, sometimes it can, it can sometimes end up that way. But a lot of times it's not necessary that my number one player is the number one player and the number two player is the number two player. It's right. done a little bit for, um, I mean, even some small things. Like if I've got my fifth player who goes off first and they're a really slow player and they have the first tee time and they're going to be on the clock all day, that's not going to be helpful, right? They're going to be like a nervous wreck. So I right. sprinkle them in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Like give them a buffer. So um, a lot of it's just depending on um, a lot of different circumstances, how we rank our one through five for stroke play. Sure. So what do you think it is that makes Amelia such a good match play player? You know, she is a phenomenal player. Like she's playing the U.S. Open. Um, just like the U.S. Open qualifier, she was 11 under. Okay. I mean, all right. Um, right. Um, because she knew uh, you know, this is a one dayer. I got to give it every, all I've got. Uh, you know, I'm going to have, we call it, she kiddingly says it, you know, and not that I prescribe this at all for everybody. So, um, but you know, she'll get those putts might be a little bit firmer, those three footers, because she's just, you know, more just trying to be a little bit more, um, uh, you know, confident with it, you know. Um, and so um, she's a player that, um, has at, at times can have no fear, and especially in a match play, because she's she's playing this one person. She knows she's becomes a little bit more um, flag oriented, doesn't buffer as much, takes a few more chances, and she's got the game to pull it off. In stroke play, um, she has a tendency to play just a little bit more conservative, um, and that would be um, so she might leave herself, you know a few instead of a eight footer, she might have a 20 footer. So she's just not getting as many birdies. So you'll notice in stroke play, she'll be have a tendency to shoot, you know, anywhere from she rarely is over par. So like even to two under, and, you know, she stays in that window. Do you know what I mean? Um, but she'll go to match play and she'll shoot, you know, four five, six under, you know, she just, her strategy changes and her mentality changes a little bit. And the same, a lot of her qualifiers, she'll shoot really low in qualifiers because it's a, you know, it's a one-all type thing. So 
Um, that's that's her mentality, I would say. Like, she's not going to play tour golf, but I could see her, you know, being one of those that the first two days she's staying there around par two under when she's made the cut at four or five under, you know, then she goes out those last two and then she just starts moving up the leaderboard because she's she's confident now, you know, I've done what I needed to do. Now I've got to move up that leaderboard to make money. So that she's that type of player. Wow. Well, you're definitely right about her is being in, in control of her own game. Uh-huh. So Very much so. It's impressive to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she's got the, the, she's got the best match play record of anybody in the Palmer cup that's ever played. So, I mean, that sort of just tells you, I mean, she's that girl can match play. You don't want a match player. Don't play her for money. <laughs> <laughs> don't play her for money. I'm telling you. Oh, that's funny. That's awesome. So, you know, this particular group of five women, uh, and your coaching staff, you guys that got the national championship this year, you have come up just short in match play a number of times in the national championship. You know, as we know, it's extremely hard to get done. It's, it's really spectacular. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of coaches or even fans sometimes will say things that when they know that a team is special, Oh, this year is special. This year is different. Would you say that you had a gut feeling like that this year at all, that this team was special, different than any other year? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say to be, we've had some special teams. This one was obviously extremely special, you know, but our COVID year, that year that, that everything shut down, um, I had a team that I think could have competed as well and won a national championship that year too. We we were actually ranked number one by the when the the, the um, season ended. Um, again, they were a group of young ladies that were competitive, r- really good golfers, and, and had the um, the the mental sustainability to to do something that that, that can happen over that long of a period of time. So think of. Um, I think I've had it throughout. I've had it at Virginia too, um, where we were really close at the when at the Vanderbilt tournament one year um, to win. So um, I, I've been there a few times where I've had you know groups um, where you know I say everything comes gets coming together, you know, um, and th- this group is definitely one of them. I I do think this is probably the deepest group I've had meaning that all five that were competing um you know they were all number ones do you know what I mean and so um I don't know if I've had all number ones before you know um so that was special and then they uh they're all best friends you know and 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 um and what I mean by that is, yeah, that doesn't mean that on campus they're they're always going to dinner together. They're always going to breakfast or lunch because they still have their friend groups um, other than the team. But when they come together um, as a team and when we travel, um, it's clear that they care for one another and want, want um, each person to um, be the best that they can be. And, and that can be um that's that's special in such a individual sport um as well no doubt definitely so can you put the feeling of when your team clinched the national championship 
Can you put that winning feeling into one word? Ooh. Mm. One word. Um, uh, I mean, I know it's, it's, it's just, I mean, satisfaction, you know, I mean, they, I mean, they've, they've, that's, that's not a great word, I guess, that you are one that you would think that would come to mind. Um, but they have worked so hard. They've done everything that we've asked as a coaching staff and more. Um, and I think that the satisfaction that every um, thing they did, every, um, you know, instead of, you know, going to spring break with, the beach trip with their buddies, they go with us to a training trip. I mean, all the things that all you guys have to give up in order to possibly make um, a memory like this. Um, satisfaction that, hey, when I do everything that I can possibly do, um, that magical moments can happen. I love that. I love that. I think it's a great word. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so I want to talk about your recruiting process a little bit before we start to wrap things up here. So recruiting is obviously a huge part of what makes a good coach bringing in those players. Like you mentioned, they're so good when they come to you and then you as a coach helps them get even better and helps turn them into winners. So what would you say that you are, is the biggest thing that you are looking for in a recruit besides just scores and ability to win? Mm -hmm. um I obviously I would I want somebody that's coachable um but I think that that probably everybody would say that you want somebody that's um got an open mind that you can have conversations with that you can discuss what might need to be done to get better um that's really important to me um work ethic's really important to me um, I, I, I have two rules. That's it on my team. I don't even care if you show up late. Okay. I don't care. I don't care if you show up late. I don't care if you're wearing gym shorts practice. I just don't care. But my two rules are be kind and work hard. Um, and I take those really, really seriously. And so that's what I'm looking for in a recruit. Um, do you work hard and are you kind? Because if, if you do both of those, um, we'll, we will work well together. Your team will work weather with you. Um, and so that's what I'm looking for in a recruit. I love that. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So with that being said, is there anything that might turn you off of a player when you're recruiting? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, if, if they're not kind and, and I mean, what I mean by that is, um, if your mom or dad, um, or whoever sends it, you hand them a Gatorade and you say, oh, that's just not the color I like. I like a different color. Do you know what I mean? You know, I'm just going, oh, okay, because I'm going to have that for the next 40 years. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, I, you know, a better answer would be, oh, thanks, mom. Next time you give me, would you, would you mind getting me the orange one? Because I prefer the orange one, you know, you know, just, you know, uh, things like that. I mean, um, I look at how you're reacting to the people around you because that is what I'm going to be um, be around for the next four years. And, and that's the personality that I'm going to have. So um, 
being, yeah, I would say being kind and obviously working hard. That can be a little bit harder to, to notice when you're recruiting um, because we're just like all of us. If we go to an interview or we go um, anywhere, we're putting our best self out there. So that can be a little bit harder to, to determine. Um, so uh, that way we might rely on um, having conversations with people that are around them to get that. Certainly, definitely. I would say golf game is up and down, but the way that you treat people on and off the golf courses yeah. is the most important. But mm -hmm. so Wake Forest really is just the, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons is a golf school. One of few schools, I would say, that could be considered a golf school, um, you know, especially Arnie's alma mater you had such a successful program for a number of years. There's so much that goes into Wake Forest Demon Deacon golf. So you have a, a lot of recruits who want to come play for you. And all of these young women have different golf games when they, when they come to you, you talked a lot about your approach with all these different players individually, which I really appreciate. I'm very impressed by what uh, is something that you would say, would maybe make you feel skeptical of making a change? Have you ever felt skeptical of making a change in someone's golf swing or in the way that they approach their game on the course? Mm -hmm. If, if they, that's good. I'm always, and um, David Orr taught me this because he worked with a lot of really, really good players. You know, Justin Rose and uh, Suzanne Pedersen. I mean, you know, you've got, um major winners and he taught me this and it's and it, and it is you have 30 seconds with a really good player to either help them or lose them and what so you're going to either help them or you're going to they're going to lose your trust right and so i feel like because i have a lot of good players on my team so it's my job when one of them walks in, I don't say anything to them about their golf game, but I study them constantly. I know everything that's there that and I can tell you every position in their golf swing. I can tell you what golf ball, um, how their golf ball reacts. I can tell you how their clubs react. Um, and they haven't even asked me a question yet because there's going to be a time, just like I was telling you when I was playing that, I'm going to get frustrated. I mean, me as a player right now, I'm going to get frustrated and I'm going to ask my coach for help. And so that moment always happens. Right. And when that moment happens, I need to make sure that those 30 seconds, I have the right thing to say that's going to be helpful, not harmful, so I can gain their trust and that they know that I've already done my research for them. Sure. So is it kind of like a, if it ain't broke type of thing as well? Yeah. You know, like it sounds like you don't really, you don't try to make any changes unless someone asks for it. Is that correct? Exactly. I mean, unless it's like completely obvious, like if somebody's, you know, cold shanking it for 13 balls, you know, and they're not asking for help, I'm going to help them. <laughs> you know, like something that's like so obvious. Um, but the, for the most part, because we do a lot of um, testing. And so if we have a line test and that means it's a directional test and they're a line and test. Have, I know, right? Like, so if we have a line test and they're not pulling off the line test, 
And they coach, I, I'm just not pulling this off. Well, then I can give advice, you know? So um, a, a lot of testing allows for open conversations of things that we might see. Um, but uh, unless it's like, and then they, most everybody, you know, um, they have their own swing coaches and they have the putting and that type of thing. Um, and so it might be that I might just, you know, Hey, maybe you should go talk to your swing coach right now. Or, or I might even text their swing coach and say, Hey, could you follow up a little bit? Cause her line test isn't good. <laughs> you know, like, sure. sure. So yeah, well, def definitely drills and tests and things like that are going to expose parts of exactly. you that are good at the moment. <laughs> yeah. 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 <sighs> so coach, when you took over at Wake Forest, you were taking over after Diane Daly, who was there for 30 years. I know that you've mentioned that she's been a mentor of yours, that she's helped you a lot. Um, I want to know what is the best piece of advice that Coach Daly has ever given you, whether it was at the beginning or any time throughout the course of your of your years there? She's always giving me lots of wonderful advice. I have her on speed dial. So <laughs> I, I don't know if I could think of one um, piece of advice, but I, what I could say is that she's always been an ear for me to talk with. And, um, and so to have somebody that, um, was and is at Wake Forest for 30 years, um, and to be able, and who has, um, legendary coaching, to have somebody that, that is right, that, that's right beside you a lot, um, take advantage of that. And she, um, any tough situation that I've gotten into while I'm here, whether it's, you know, a recruiting question that I might have in reference to, you know, what, how would you sell the university better? How would you sell this person better to this program? Um, or whether it's a team, team question I might have. Um, she's always a filter um, who I, through, I, who I go to for that information. Absolutely. I couldn't nail just one thing. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, that definitely says a lot. <laughs> so Kim, you know, I want to kind of start to wrap things up here. What is the future looking like for next year's team? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very excited. And it's funny because, uh, um, my, I just met with my athletic director and he goes, um, you know, he just always says that when you're up at the top, you know, you know, you know, what, what you're going to do now, you know? And, and so you keep hearing that a lot. Um, and, and just like that book said, right. The past is the past and you got to move on. And so, yes, we're going to enjoy this. Um, because it's, it's such a, something that doesn't happen often. Um, but we'll get busy again next year. We have two, uh, you know, we lose Lauren Walsh, Amelia Miliacho, but we return, um, all the other starters and we add, uh, Macy Pate and Brooke Rivers who are phenomenal players. Brooke will be at the AM with you. Um, uh, Macy actually plays this year, this, this week for a qualifier, but phenomenal players. Um, and so I'm hoping that um, by the spring, we just like this year, we will have figured out and checked all those boxes and be able to contend again. Wonderful. So exciting. What would you say, Kim, is the most difficult aspect of being a coach? You've done it for, for quite a while now. What would you say is the most difficult thing about it? 
Well, I love I love everything about golf. So um, I love being around like-minded young women and helping them reach their goals. Um, I think uh, I have to be honest with you. The, what I don't like about coaching is paperwork. Just paperwork. <laughs> I just don't like paperwork. <laughs> That's not the first time I've heard that. That's actually so funny. <laughs> just, just don't like all of the like little paperwork things that you have, you feel like you have to do to yeah that's what I don't like but I like all the other stuff <laughs> that's amazing well hey if that's the worst thing then I'd say you're definitely in the right well I mean it's clear you're definitely in the right position <laughs> <laughs> all right lastly so we go into our five clubs five questions it's something okay. we do at the end of every podcast episode but one more question before we go to that and in sports, so much of sports is about growth, growth as an athlete, growth as a coach, growth as an individual. So I, you know, sometimes you find it's always easier to talk about what you learned when you didn't succeed, when you failed, like, like you mentioned after ACCs. Um, so after this incredibly successful historical year, what would you say is the greatest thing that you learned as a coach? I, I learned that even though we are, looks like we're succeeding on the outside, meaning we were, you know, we won, you know, like you said, six, seven times, right? That even though I saw as a coach some things that we needed to work on, like I was saying, emotionally, maturity, um, and, and I put that, the whole team, and I, when I say the whole team, that's coaches and, and everybody, that I, I, when I see that, don't let the success that we're having stop me from implementing something that I think could help them not only with their game, but grow as individuals. And so I think that's what I, that's what I learned from this year. I love it. Yeah. You know, just because things are going well, doesn't mean that there's not more to learn, more to do, more ways to grow. I, I love when like the number one player in the world, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember who it was. I think maybe when it was Rory at one point when he was number one in the world and he was like, I'm not even close to reaching my goals. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I've I, I, I in the world. So <laughs> I read this other book during COVID and I can't remember that one, the name of it, but it, and I love this, and, and it reiterates this point, is that when things are going really, really, really well, so you're winning or you're on the top of your sport, that's when you need to build your armor, though. So you need to continue to build your armor um, stronger, mentally tougher, um, make sure that every T is crossed and I um, is dotted, mentally and emotionally stronger which is the piece that we added um, just you've got to build your armor when everything is going well, because there's going to be a time when it's not going well. So you needed to have build your armor to be able to manage that situation. And so I think that um, is what we really, really learned um, this year as a team. I love that one. That's wonderful. I got to I got to add that to, to my memory bank. You know, you've got a lot of good books, Kim. I, you're going to recommend all the books you've ever read to me. I don't remember the name of that one, but I remember that piece. That's great. Well, the pieces are what's really important for sure. Right, right. 
All right, Kim. So going to move into our five clubs, five questions here, and then I'll let you get on with the rest of your day. I know this has ran pretty long, but I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. So, so <laughs> I'm glad. So number one, what is the most memorable shot that you watched one of your players hit at the national tournament? Um, I would say I was around Mimi Rhodes quite a bit because she was having heat exhaustion issues. And so I was just making sure that she was okay. Hmm. Um, and it was not necessarily one, one shot, but it was a moment. Every time I went up to her and said, Mimi, we need a point. She turned it up just like you would see Tiger Woods at the end, turn it up and she would go win the next hole and then win the next hole. So, um, it was, to be fair, it was, um, it was moment that those moments were the most memorable for me. Cause I learned a lot about um, her as a player. Wow. I can't believe how well this transitions into my second question, Kim. Okay. I have written down. So I know that you've mentioned how well Mimi responded. Mimi Rhodes responded when you said something to her, when you asked something for yeah. her, of her, the way that she was able to kind of turn it up a notch. I know that there's been, there's been little moments like that on our team. A lot of times, just the way that, players respond to to something is so fascinating and just impressive and, and different for every player so what is something that tr could trigger a response from you when you played competitively um I would say so, a similar situation you know sometimes you need to just somebody to come up to you um and say okay you might not be having your a game but you, we need your b game right now and we need it to be you got to just keep going and and we the team needs you to do that so i think somebody coming up to me sometimes and and putting a little bit of a reality check that this isn't just about me right now it's about um about the the goal of the entire um team and so um i would have responded really well to to that hey Kim, we need you to, we got four holes left and we need you to do the best that you possibly can on those four holes. So, so go, so get after it. Sure. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Number three, and you might've already mentioned this, but what is a rule that you are most strict about? Be kind and work hard. <laughs> those two. Yeah, that's, ex that's exactly <laughs> what you said. I you know, when I was writing it down, I was thinking, I was going to say never be late. Be <laughs> and I would even say be kind, like, um, and and that's to to yourself. It's to to your community. It's to um, everybody around you. And and um, I mean, mo I would say if I've ever had a team meeting, I mean, the girls know if I hold a team meeting because I to be fair, I don't do it often. It's usually a strategy team meeting, um, or it's about I've got a you know something's happened that we need to we need to rethink that piece a little bit. <laughs> you know? And so I would definitely say be kind. Sure. Absolutely. I love it. So number four, um, do you have any superstitions with your team? They all have superstitions. <laughs> I have no superstitions because I started off my career with superstition and I wore the same hat my entire senior year. And, and by the time NCAA's came out. It was disgusting. It was just like a disgusting hat. I was trying to be look cute and I could not look cute in this disgusting hat, but I was still going to wear the disgusting hat. Right. So um, when I met my husband, 
um, who I, like I said, he's a, a theologian. He goes, Kim, he goes, if you had that much power uh, by wearing a hat, then there'd be peace in the world. So you just need to get over your superstitions. <laughs> that so is I, so <laughs> funny. Oh my goodness. I can't even, but it's so, it's so normal though. Like it's it so, it's how can something be so weird yet? So normal. So normal. <laughs> but every single player on my team has some type of superstition. And it's so funny. <laughs> and a lot of times I won't even know about it. And then I'll just start to pick up on cues and I'm like, that's interesting. Like Mimi has to have eight golf tees in her pocket. Really? So I'll just notice like, you know, she has to have eight golf tees in her pocket. Can't have seven. Can't have nine. Has to have eight. It's kind of a lot. I know. It's a lot, right? And then they <laughs> poke in your shorts and you get that weird mark. You know, you get the weird mark. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> that is so funny. It's the way you said it too, Kim, the way you go. They all have superstitions. <laughs> Everyone has. So funny. All right. Fifth and final question. What was the celebratory meal after the national championship win? Oh, my God. We went to, uh, what's it called? Timeout? Timeout, right? The hamburger place? Is it timeout? Timeout? I think it's timeout. The hamburger place that's so famous on the West Coast. It's got like a. Is it timeout? I think it's timeout. In and out. Thank you. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Timeout doesn't sound right. It was yeah. the it was the celebratory meal after the we national. We went to In and Out. I, they were like they were like we were like where do you want to go? We'll go anywhere. We want to go to In and Out. I was like, okay, we'll go In and Out. Hey, if that's if that's what the champs into In and Out. <laughs> If that's what the champs wanted, that's what the champs the wanted. Champs get. <laughs> that is hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure the burger and fries tasted better than ever before. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And a milkshake. We got chocolate milkshakes. There you go. Good. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I have just had an absolute blast talking to you and picking your brain. Um, what you've done is so impressive, and I. I'm excited to see to kind of follow along with your coaching career from here on out. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed um, the questions. Uh, Emma were um, allowed me to think through some of this stuff and, and to debrief myself about some things. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm so glad. Thank you so much. Best of luck to you. And maybe I'll see you at some tournaments uh, yeah, this or, or this upcoming school year. That sounds wonderful. Good luck at the AM. Thank you so much. All right, bye. Go Deeks! Thank you so much, Wake Forest Demon Deacons head coach, Kim Llewellyn, for joining me today on Five Clubs. I had so much fun chatting with Kim and picking her brain all about what's made her such a great coach and what's made her program so successful. So we wish Kim the best of luck in the years ahead, and we will see you next time on Five Clubs. <laughs>